book of Acts chapter 8. I thank God for a church, a pastor that still believe in the office of the evangelist. Beginning our 21st year this year in full-time evangelism. I'm very, very thankful to the Lord. He has blessed us and enabled us to continue in this calling. I want to preach to you for the next few minutes from my heart. I want to preach about persecution. Persecution. I have felt very strongly coming into this year that we as the church in this nation are going to experience a level of persecution that we have not experienced before. I'm not here to preach gloom and doom, but I believe the Lord is preparing us. It very well may not be on the level of our precious brothers and sisters in the Middle East and other sensitive areas around the world, but it will be in a more intense manner than we have ever experienced. And we must be prepared. You can't wait until it gets here to get prepared. Acts chapter number 8, verse number 1. And Saul was consenting unto his death, And at that time, there was a great persecution against the church which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church entering into every house and hailing men and women, committed them to prison. Therefore, they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ unto them. And the people with one accord gave heed unto those things which Philip spake, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits, crying with loud voice, came out of many that were possessed with them, and many taken with palsies, and that were lame were healed. And there was great joy in that city. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you, Lord, for the privilege and honor of having a place, a pulpit, to preach your word today. I sense your presence in a strong way. And believe, Lord, this message is for this morning, for this congregation, for us in this time. And I pray, Lord, that you would prepare us for what very well could be coming in a way that we have never experienced before. 
May we count the cost. May we have already crossed the line. May there be a resolve in us. The question already been answered. We've already signed on the dotted line. May we realize and see with new spirit eyes what is happening around us. And be ready to give an answer for the hope that is within us. Unashamed. We ask it in Jesus' name. Everyone said, Amen. Book of 2 Timothy, chapter number 3, verse number 12, is a very powerful verse. It says, Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. In the Bible Belt, we have been protected. We have been free from so many of the attacks. The primary battles that we face in the Bible Belt have been unbelief, spiritual apathy, and an entertainment mentality. People have the attitude, show me something I haven't seen. Say something I haven't heard. Impress me. So we see in 2 Timothy 3.12, All that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. So, first of all, we see that persecution is promised. Persecution is promised. John's Gospel, chapter 16, Jesus himself said, In this world you will have tribulation. You will have persecution. We'll get back to the finish that verse at the close of this message. But the Bible tells us if any person intends to live godly, you're going to be persecuted in some way. Just a few weeks ago, a young man named Ramin Parsa, an Iranian-American, formerly Iranian immigrant, now a citizen of the United States, who came to the United States fleeing persecution, who was this, he established many underground churches. Um, he had led his family through Turkey, finally got to the United States, so that he could worship freely. Has a ministry based out of California. He's been tortured. He's gone through many things for the cause of Christ. Was invited to Minneapolis, Minnesota just a few short weeks ago to minister to two different churches. After the Sunday morning service, the pastor of the church took him to the Mall of America and uh, he'd never seen that before. Took him there just to be able to experience that. And got a cup of coffee. But when they were leaving the coffee shop, there were two Somali women 
who approached him and asked him if he was a Muslim. He said, no, I used to be a Muslim, but I'm not. Let me tell you my story. So as he began to witness to them, another Muslim person walked by and overheard what was going on and was offended that he was speaking about the name of Jesus and telling these women about what Jesus Christ had done in his life. And so this Muslim person contacted the mall security and police, and they came to Ramin and said, you're going to have to shut down all of that kind of talk. We do not allow any talking about Jesus Christ in this mall. He said, I thought I was in the United States. I'm a citizen of this country. I thought we had freedom of speech and, and freedom of religion. He said, well, you don't hear. Ultimately, he was taken to the bottom floor of the Mall of America. He was handcuffed to a chair and made to stay there all day. No food, no water. Wasn't allowed to use the restroom. Was finally taken, arrested, and is going to have to return there to answer for, stand before a judge to give an account. To what he was talking about. What was he talking about? He was talking about Jesus. I'm not talking about Iran. I'm not talking about Iraq. I'm not talking about a Muslim country. I'm talking about the United States. Just the other day, some Middle Eastern Christians were wearing Christian t-shirts and they walked into a Starbucks in Houston and were made to leave the Starbucks because they are their Christian t-shirts. Tom Perez, the president of the Democratic National Convention, just before the turn of the new year, made it very clear that the biggest antagonist, the biggest hindrance to the purpose of the Democratic Party was the pulpit of America. And made it very clear they were going to do everything they could to stop the pulpits from being effective. It wasn't something in a private meeting. It was a very public statement in a speech that he was very he was basically preaching his hatred for the pulpit just a few weeks ago a man in the phoenix arizona area was having a bible study in his own home when he was arrested and taken out of his home to jail for having a bible study in his own house one of the outreaches of creston tomlin ministries we have a ministry to the lakota sioux tribe of south dakota we've been ministering there for the last nearly 15 years, and I have experienced tremendous persecution because the leadership of the tribes, although there's 88% alcoholism, 91% unemployment, a victim and an entitlement mentality like I've never faced anywhere in my life, absolute poverty beyond description. It's a, it's a third world country within the United States, they're doing everything they can to stop us and shut us up because they have a system in which a handful at the top are becoming very wealthy off the addiction of their people and they're using their own people for their own gain. And they're trying to do everything they can to shut me up, to stop us, to keep me from preaching the gospel there because they do not want, they know what happens when people get free. But not just from without. We have tremendous persecution from within. I have received warnings to avoid certain subject matter. Told not to use certain words 
or phrases that could be offensive. To not talk about homosexuality. To not talk about speaking in tongues. Or I would not receive my offering or honorarium. But when you look at the life of Jesus, Jesus experienced persecution from his birth. As Herod was not going to allow the worship of anyone, wasn't going to allow anyone else to receive any glory. And made it his goal to destroy every newborn male child to be sure that Jesus had been killed. Jesus' own parents, being warned in a dream, took him to Egypt and stayed there until it was safe for him to come back. I mean, Jesus his, Jesus makes his first public appearance to deliver the greatest announcement in the history of the world that the Messiah has come, and I am him. And I've come to preach the gospel of the poor. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He's anointed me to preach this message to the poor. He's anointed me to heal the brokenhearted. He's anointed me to set the captive free. He's anointed me to bind up the wounds of the broken. He's anointed me to do all of these things and to come and preach the acceptable year of the Lord. The acceptable year of the Lord. He was talking about the year of Jubilee. Every 50 years, Jubilee was announced and all debt was canceled. Somebody say amen right there. And Jesus was saying, I am the year of Jubilee. You've been celebrated, but I, the, the, the Jubilee itself is standing right before you. I've come to cancel your sin debt. And after he's been, the Bible says that the people were in awe of what he said, but they couldn't get over the fact that they knew him. Those who had changed his diapers, oh, that's just Mary and Joseph's boy. We knew him. And when this boy, this young man stands up under such an anointing, they could take it all right until he corrected them. He had the audacity to confront them. And after he confronted them, they were going to throw him off a cliff. Persecution is promised, but persecution is present, friends. It's present. Persecution progresses it's promised it's present and it progresses the general flow to the progression of persecution is it begins with being threatened and then people are arrested and then they're usually beaten and then killed we find this pattern of progression throughout the book of acts as in Acts chapter 4, when Peter and John stood before that high council, a religious council, to answer for witnessing and speaking in the name of Jesus. And they were warned, threatened, to shut up and to not teach or preach in the name of Jesus. And then in Acts chapter 5, after they continue, after that revival breaks out, in Acts chapter 5, that revival that broke out started out within along Solomon's porch as they would gather there to, as the church had swelled from 120 to now around 25 or 30,000 people. They would meet on the eastern colonnaded wall of the temple there for prayer and for 
for worship and for instruction. But then the revival broke out of that place onto the street. They had to set up church on the street and people were bringing bringing people on stretchers and carrying the broken and bringing the demon possessed. They got every church van in town out, picked up everybody nobody wanted and the mentally disturbed and the sick and they brought them to the disciples. And the Bible says every single person they brought to them was made whole. Every single one. That'll stir up a town. And so they found out they didn't heed their warnings. So what did they do? They sent men out to arrest them. And they said they put them in the common prison. And, of course, we know that an angel was dispatched to let them out of prison, let them out of the city. And they went right back to the place they were warned not to preach or teach anymore, went right back to preaching and teaching. find later on in Acts chapter 5 that they were they were beaten when they were beaten they left in essence giving each other high fives that they were counted worthy enough to suffer shame for the sake of Christ but then it escalates to Acts chapter 7 where Stephen is stoned and killed and It's hard for us to wrap our minds around these things in the United States of America because we have enjoyed such freedoms. But friends, this is not the America we've known. And there is, there has always been, but there we've never faced a more outward pointed effort to shut down the gospel of Jesus Christ in this nation. That's why our president is hated so much because he has done everything he can do to give the pulpit of a church as much liberty as they've ever had. And it's getting interesting. And I'm, I'm asking us as the people of God and as a congregation today, are we prepared for what could happen The reality is the church is never more powerful as when they're dealing with persecution because our entire dependability rests upon the power of the Holy Ghost. That's why the underground church across the world is so powerful. And that's why in the midst of persecution they have become more powerful than ever. And in every effort trying to shut the church down all over the world, it is only fuel on the fire because you have to be careful how you put out a fire. If you pour grease, if you pour water on a grease fire, you're going to spread the fire. And in the book of Acts, when the Roman Empire tried to shut down the gospel, they poured water on a grease fire. I have had the incredibly humbling experience, incredible humbling experience of working in the Middle East for several years with the underground church. I have been in 13 different underground churches working extensively there. And I can tell you the power level is astounding. There is so much faith in these churches that sickness cannot live. If anyone is sick, when you walk in the room, you're instantly healed. Instantly. 
they have already made up their mind. They've already crossed the line. They already understand the cost. And even though they're being as wise as possible, should it cost them their life, they're fine with it. When we look at men of God, people of God in the Word who stood against those in high places of leadership. It all worked out fine until they confronted them. First Peter 3.15 says you and I are always to stand ready to give an account for the hope that is in us. John the Baptist, Matthew chapter 3 said he was a man of the desert. People came to him as he was preaching the message of repentance. The religious, they tolerated him until he rebuked Herod for taking his brother's wife. And it cost him his head. Jeremiah the prophet delivered truth to King Pasher. Jeremiah was beaten and put in stocks, thrown in a pit of dung, refuse, and manure. Told to change his prophecy, but he said the prophecy stands. Apostle Paul, the trophy of grace, the enemy had an inside man inside the church full of religion, but who didn't know Christ. And when Paul on that Damascus Road experience was evangelized by Jesus himself, it wasn't enough. That the enemy lost that inside man. Killing Christians, imprisoning them. But now he's going into public synagogues. To declare that the religion that you are in is dead. (laughs) That you're bound in darkness and in ritual. And the only way to eternal life is to the person of Jesus Christ. And it doesn't matter if you're a Jew, a Gentile, rich, poor, a ruler, a slave, a leper, good, bad, or ugly. You have to come through the cross of Christ. And it's the free gift to all. That'll get you run out of town. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. The Apostle Paul tells us of some of the issues and the plights and the things he had to deal with. Later he calls these things light afflictions. Recall Jesus, Jesus the Savior only one time received 39 stripes. The Apostle Paul received that five. He begins to list all of the things that he went through. All the Apostle Paul ever knew was someone trying to stop him. Someone trying to shut him up. Someone working behind the scenes, acting like they were on his team, but trying to do him harm. All he knew was being let down over in baskets, over walls, and chased by one town to another. Having to run to a town at night and a ship to the other one. Trying to run for his life, being beaten, being left for dead. Because he dared to fight against the religious system of control. But friends, that's what real revival will do. It will destroy the religious control. The Apostle Stephen, the Bible says, full of faith and of the Holy Ghost. God did mighty miracles through him, this mighty deacon. People were moved by his preaching because of the anointing upon him. 
His message was dealing with the reliance on customs to save a person from religious rhetoric to save a person. And he uses in his preaching the custom of Moses. And Jesus came to change all of that and bring us past customs and rhetoric into relationship with God. It was controversial. They arrested him and gave, caused him and accused him of blasphemy. They finally give him a chance to speak and he preaches a masterpiece of all masterpieces and calls them stiff-necked and rebellious. Truth can be costly. He was stoned to death. Friends, there was a time where persecution seemingly only came to a few people in high-profile positions that were in recognizable places of authority. But now the hard questions are coming to all of us. Now it's trickling down to all of us. It's gotten very close to home. Because now, because of social media, because of technology, and because of the times that we are in, the hard questions are coming to us and we're having to answer very directly. Questions about living together before you're married. My, my grandma called it shacking up. We're having to answer questions about homosexuality and whether or not God will sanction it. Or having to deal with questions about identifying as any gender you desire. We're having to identify, I mean, we're having to deal with expectations of godly living among church leadership. We're having to deal with the myth of American Christianity. Having to deal with reality that just because a person says they're a Christian doesn't make them one. But you see, in American Christianity, as long as you tip God and tip your hat to God every now and then, well, you're a Christian. Friends, a Christian is someone who has repented of their sin. A Christian is a person who has died to self and taken up the cross of Christ. A Christian is a person who no longer serves their flesh but lives a life. No, we're not perfect, but we're striving for perfection. Leaning toward the cross of Christ, serving Him with reckless abandon, having died to self and the flesh in the way that we used to live to our old lifestyle and daily submit ourselves to Him, the One who forgave us and cleansed us by His blood and who is intent on living that life for Christ. But if you don't go along with American Christianity anymore, and we declare from the pulpit that that is not a, that particular lifestyle is not the definition of Christianity, we need to be prepared because persecution will come. It hurts the crowd. And in these last days, friends, our churches may not have the numbers they once did because of having to stand and answer these hard questions with compassion but truthfulness. It happened to Gideon. 
He started out with 32,000. But it got down to 300. God had to deal first with the coward. Then the careless. But he had 300 of courage before it was over. I was disappointed on the Dove Awards this year. They included secular artists on the platform. I heard a song. I never heard the song before, but passing in passing on the radio. And sometimes with some of these country songs, the lyrics, you can't almost help but smile. It's, it seems a bit funny, but the words were these. The boys around here drinking that ice cold beer. And then it eventually said, the boys around here throwing up a prayer to the man upstairs. That right there is a definition of American Christianity. I'm going to drink my booze and hang out with my buddies and tell our dirty jokes. And I'm going to tip my hat to the man upstairs too. And any time you stand against that good old boy mentality. You see, friends, the questions are coming to us. They're coming like a freight train. We had better be ready. Just a few weeks ago, one of the major contemporary Christian artists that's now really the darling of, of all genres of music. Her music is being played on every radio station in every genre. She was recently interviewed on a just in the month of November on a major internet interview program. She was asked if she thought that homosexuality was a sin. And she said, I don't know. So many of the friends that I have are homosexual. I just don't know if I can answer that. You see, I fully believe that this particular young lady, I believe in her heart of hearts, she loves the Lord. But she wasn't prepared for the hard questions. And in one second, her career, acceptance, and all of the money and the fame came to her in one question. And answering one question in a split second, all of it could leave. And she was not prepared to answer that question. And friends, I'm asking us, are we ready to answer the hard question when it costs us? When we're no longer going to be accepted, when we're no longer going to receive the accolades, when much of the money goes by the way, are we still going to answer compassionately but truthfully? Because just this week I saw on a story that she no longer now, no doubt all of her handlers were telling her what to say. She now no longer is a Christian artist. She's just an artist. It doesn't take long. Matthew chapter 13. Jesus 
talks about the sower, the seed, and the soil. He talks us about the seed that was cast upon thorny ground and hard ground and that the interpretation of those would be those who received the word with gladness. But when tribulation or persecution came, they were offended. Will we be offended at the cause of Christ? For the cause of Christ, will we be sorry for the cause of Christ if persecution comes our way? I was reading about F.F. Bosworth, the author of Christ the Healer, that famous book, one of the early Pentecostal pioneers and He was writing a letter to his mother in 1911. And he said in the letter, I I would have written you sooner, but I didn't want to alarm you. But he was telling her about the beating he received from men after he preached the message of Pentecost to a mixed crowd of African Americans and white Americans. It was a no-no taboo, but men beat him with Rods made out of the boat or the or, or for a boat, and they beat him almost senseless. And he was talking about the beating he received, that he was so thankful that he was counted worthy enough to be able to go through something like that for Christ. Friends, these are serious times. Persecution. <laughs> Is here. But then there's the prize of persecution. I want you to look at the unity that came to the early church. Because of persecution, they had to really become brothers and sisters. Because of persecution, they had to lean on each other. And the Bible said great grace was on them. And no one thought that what he had was mine, mine, mine. That what I have is yours. And if you have a need, we're going to meet it. If I have a need, you're going to meet it. They just pulled all their resources together and met each other's needs and fed each other and ate their bread with singleness of heart. Look at the power that came to the early church because of persecution. Effectiveness. The realization to live as Christ and to die as gain. John sixteen thirty three, Jesus said you're going to have tribulation. But be of good cheer because I have overcome the world. And because he Overcame you and I will overcome. I am a soldier in the army of my God. The Lord Jesus Christ is my commanding officer. The Holy Scripture is my code of conduct. Faith, prayer, and the word are my weapons of warfare. I have been taught by the Holy Spirit, trained by experience, tried by adversity, and tested by fire. I am a volunteer in this army. I signed up for this. 
And I am enlisted for eternity. I will not get out, sell out, be talked out or pushed out. I am faithful, reliable, capable and dependable. If my God needs me, I am there. I am a soldier. I am not a baby. I do not need to be pampered, petted, primed up, picked up, pepped up. I am a soldier. No one has to call me, remind me, write me, visit me, entice me or lure me. I am a soldier. I'm not a wimp. I am in place saluting my king, obeying his orders, praising his name, and building his kingdom. No one has to send me flowers, gifts, food, cards, candy, or give me a handout. I do not need to be cuddled, cradled, cared for, or catered to. I am committed. I cannot have my feelings hurt bad enough to turn me around. I cannot be discouraged enough to turn me aside. I cannot lose enough to cause me to quit. When Jesus called me into this army, I had nothing. So if I end up with nothing, I will still come out ahead. I will win. My God has and will always supply my needs. I am more than a conqueror. I will always triumph. I can do all things through Christ. The devil cannot defeat me. People cannot disillusion me. Weather cannot weary me. Sickness cannot stop me. Battles cannot beat me. Money cannot buy me. Governments cannot silence me. And hell cannot handle me. I'm a soldier. Even death cannot destroy me. For when my commander calls me from this battlefield, he'll promote me to captain and allow me to rule with him. I'm a soldier in the army and I'm marching claiming victory. I will not give up. I will not turn around. Hallelujah. Author unknown on that, but I wish I had written that. Hallelujah. Revelation chapter 21. I'm almost finished. Revelation chapter 21 and verse number 7. I want you to get this. He that overcometh shall inherit all things. All things. And I will be his God. And he shall be my son. Over the past year or so, I've had a lot of friendships, even in the ministry. I thought would always be there that were severed because those people just thought that I was trying to be too holy and because I wouldn't have a beer with them. I just wouldn't do certain things and my wife and I just wouldn't take part in certain things. And I, I just thought I was better than everybody else because I wouldn't just break down and go to the bar with them. Because after all, they said, you know, we're, we're witnessing to these people here. We're, we're identifying with them having a beer with them. I want to tell you something. This culture, this lost world, they're not looking for people like them. They're looking for people who are not like them. I'm not talking about being arrogant. I'm not talking about being prideful. They're looking for people who've got the goods. 
Young people, you listen to me. The world has an offer for you. If it hasn't come yet, it will come. I know I don't look like much. I used to have hair and I used to be good looking. Something happened. I know I didn't sound like much today, but I used to could be able to sing. And when I was 19 years old. I sat across the table from a major record executive, label executive, and pushed a contract and a, a check with a whole lot of zeros across the table at me. I said, Creston, this is the opportunity of a lifetime. You got exactly what we're looking for, and we want to pay you a lot of money to sing this easy listening soul love music. And he said, you can still sing your Jesus songs, but you can sing this too. And I looked at that check with a lot of zeros, more than I'd ever seen. Just the down payment on what was to come. And I remember pushing that back across the table and said, Sir, I'm very flattered, but I can't do that. He said, What do you mean you can't do it? I said, Well, I promised the Lord I would never use any gifting I had for anyone but Him. And I wish I had time today to express to you how God has blessed me and favored me. Let me tell you, the world's sloppy seconds can't compare to the blessing and favor of God. You can't buy the anointing of God. You can't buy the favor of God. And the enemy wants to, he wants to blur the lines. He wants to make it as though everybody's just going to the same place. Everybody's just saying, oh, no matter what kind of music we're singing, we're all just going to the same place. We're all Christians. We're all serving God. The world is trying to make everything look so agreeable. There are many Christian artists today who, not realizing it, are just only in what they're doing and mixing with the world, just making it look like we're all doing the same thing. There's a price to pay. For dedication and consecration. Young people, whatever you do, don't you give in. Don't you compromise. You will receive a level of persecution for your lack of willingness to go along to get along. But don't you dare give in. Heaven's going to be cheap at any price. And persecution at a different level than we've experienced is upon us. Are we ready? Are we prepared? Will we be able to deal with consequences? Will be less than desirable when the chips are down? Stand with me today.
I feel this today. Lord, we need you. Need you like we've never needed you. Oh God, we can no longer be sugar stick Christians. But we must be able to grasp the whole word, the whole gospel, and live it. Yes, Lord, it is your will for us to prosper and be in health even as our soul prospers. You are a God of prosperity. You are a God of blessing. You are a God who blesses us with incredible gifts. You're so good. And it's your good pleasure to do it. But your word also tells us that if we intend to live godly in this world, we're going to deal with some things. We're going to have to be able to stand in the midst of it. It might cost us some people in the pew. What you said, your, your service unto me will even divide homes. When it gets down to it, staying committed to you, you said, it costs some things. But your joy is our strength.